Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like you get special life insurance rates. Go to HealthIQ.com slash Singletracks to support the show and learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and Greg and I are going to be talking about mountain bike vocabulary. So whether you're a noob just getting into the flow of MTB or a weekend warrior capable of shredding sick lines on the reg, mountain bike vocabulary can get tricky. Not to worry, though. Today we're going to discuss some of the insider terms that everyone should know before going OTB. So... Let's start off with some really general terms and acronyms too, because those can, those can get tricky as well. So one of the ones that we use a lot, a lot of people use is MTB to stand for mountain biking. Isn't that a little weird to you guys that MTB is like, it's like two words, right? But there's three letters. Yeah. And there's no N in there either. Right. So yeah, it doesn't really, just looking at it, it doesn't exactly like flow off the, uh, the tongue like some other acronyms but you know i suppose mt is a pretty common abbreviation for mountain and then you just tack the b on the end there yeah i guess so but yeah it's always capitalized there's never like a lowercase t funny thing too is in the really early days there was another acronym sort of competing which was what was it atb atb right all terrain biking which that makes sense because it's three words right yeah i mean it's probably more applicable to more people right because i mean you know not everyone who mountain bikes rides on mountains per se i mean if you live in florida and you ride off road you're not riding on a mountain i've been there <laughs> they don't have mountains yeah. so you're riding you're riding all terrains though all terrains, even asphalt. alternate terrains. Yeah, even the road that that counts. That's all terrain. That's a terrain. Yeah, true, true. Okay, so uh, then within mountain biking, obviously there are a bunch of different disciplines. So many. So yeah, let's let's start with the sort of I don't want to say the easy one, but the um, least aggressive, technically speaking, uh, which is cross country, and we abbreviate that XC. Why, why do we abbreviate that XC? Anybody know? I guess CC would be something else, right? Like cubic centimeters or something like more technical. Yeah. Well, XC, usually, you know, X is like across yes. by itself. So that's why we have the X and then the C is for country. I mean, it's just like a cross country running, right? I think they use the XC as uh, well. I was going to say they use the CC. I think I've seen that on like some of the vintage shirts and stuff that people have from cross country back in the day. Well, but they're yeah, doing maybe, it wrong. Yeah, maybe they're using XC <laughs> now too. I well, mean, cyclocross is abbreviated CX. So you have the cyclo on the front and, and then, then the cross. The cross is the X. So X means cross. Uh, they also say that X is like one of the most exciting letters in the alphabet. So maybe they're trying to induce a little bit of excitement about cross country biking. I don't know. Mine's probably Z. I like a Z. Ooh, but you know, Z is sexy very much. too. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next up on the aggressiveness scale in terms of mountain biking is trail riding. 
this one to me is really confusing because like a trail is a trail and well, pretty yeah. much every ride's on the trail. Well, maybe right? we should talk a little bit. I mean, just apart from saying what the words themselves means is kind of a little bit about what kind of riding it is. So going back to XC or cross country, it's generally a, a race format. It used to be much more popular in the early days of the sport. It's since kind of fallen out of favor with the the mainstream riders, I would say. It's still pretty popular at the World Cup level, and a lot of that is due to the fact that they've made the courses a lot more exciting. They're a lot, uh, lot more technical, but if you generally when someone's talking about you know, riding XC or if it's an XC type trail, they're faster, um, less technically demanding, that sort of thing. It's not going to be a really, really rugged trail necessarily in the most classic sense of the term. Moving up the aggressiveness scale in terms of mountain bike disciplines, we have one called trail, which is a really nondescript descriptor, right? How do, how do you guys remember that? Or like, why, where did that even come from? Do you think? Who knows where that came from, right? Um, but we're all we're all riding on trails, so I feel like trail is like a catch-all, like in between category, sort of between like cross country is super smooth and fast, and enduro is super gnarly and maybe super aggressive, and trail somewhere just everything in between. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, you mentioned enduro, so that's a term that a lot of people aren't sure what that means. They know that it's cool, but they're like, I don't exactly <laughs> know what that is. So, yeah, can either you guys tell us what enduro means? It's sort of similar to all mountain, but all mountain's not cool anymore. We called it all all mountain back in the day, but now it's enduro. And that's like going downhills really fast, which is sort of like all of mountain biking, but you're going even faster on an enduro ride. (laughs) No, 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 Greg, no. There's no such thing as an enduro (laughs) ride. I'm so, I mean, you guys know I'm kind of a, This is one of my most irksome terms of mountain biking. Um, Enduro is, I mean, was traditionally a race format, you know, kind of like cross country was. And that's where you have a, you have a a race, there's different stages. You only time the downhill portions of them. You don't time the climbs. So that, yeah, it was basically like all mountain riding, but. But it's a race. But it's a race. You know, all mountain is like riding a big long travel bike with, you know, early components on it you climb up to the top of some gnarly mountain and then you try to ride down as fast as you can which is how people ride so enduro you know it gets slapped on everything now um kind of ad nauseum but it's like it the the one that pisses me off the most is when people say i'm doing an enduro ride or like is this an enduro trail like no no it's just (laughs) it's just mountain biking on different terrain like it's not Unless unless you're getting timed, unless you paid an entry fee and you got a timing chip and a race plate, you're, right. you're not doing enduro. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I just threw that in there to to get Aaron going for sure. I knew he'd get <laughs> off worked. on that. Um, but here's something that's even more confusing: is uh, I'm starting to see people like put all mountain between trail and enduro. Like they're calling it somewhere like the middle ground. I don't even know how they like arrive at that though. I'm like. How is this an all mountain bike and not an enduro bike? But I'm seeing some brands do that. It's wild. It's like every 10 millimeters we got a new type of bicycle. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So all mountain, I mean, that kind of makes sense to me. You ride all of the mountain, you know, up and down. Uh, and that's abbreviated a lot of times AM. In case you're wondering, you see that capital A, capital M, that's usually all mountain. 
And then the next thing up from that where you're not riding all the mountain is downhill, which is abbreviated DH. You guys got anything to say about DH riding? This happens when you don't ride up the hill and you just go down the hill. Yeah, you're just riding that one part of the mountain. Yeah. (laughs) What is it called when you just ride up? Do we have like a term or acronym for that? UH. (laughs) (laughs) Uphill, yeah. There need to be some bikes like specifically for that. Like you're not allowed to ride them downhill. They're just for the uphill like hill climb races. They have those in like road racing. I don't think I've seen that in off road necessarily. They do have them like. Uh, Winter Park used to do a series and I knew like when I lived in Colorado, some local guys that were, it, they were way into that. Like they literally, they race up the mountain and then, I don't know, they like take the chairlift back down. Like, <laughs> it seems pretty crazy to me. I mean, if you just have to climb on the bike, you could, you could do some crazy things yeah. and make it like super light. Yeah. Make it real steep. Yeah. Angles on it and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. All right. So another term that's sort of an outlier here is free ride, which is sometimes abbreviated FR. Can you guys explain to us briefly what free ride is? Free ride is the kind of stuff when you think of like Red Bull Rampage, somewhere along those lines where you're just riding the gnarliest, craziest lines in the backcountry. Or I guess it doesn't have to be the backcountry. It could be, you know, in a, in a bike park kind of setting. But yeah, basically when you're going really big, you're doing tricks, I guess kind of underneath this category, if you want to call like free ride the umbrella to this, you have like dirt jumping and slope style, which, you know, dirt jumping is often abbreviated DJ, which is kind of self-explanatory. You're jumping mounds of dirt. Slope style is what you see where, you know, people are going off jump like big jumps and doing tricks and more than just like being a set of dirt jumps you have different features like riding off a log or huge drops stuff that you wouldn't find in like a dirt jump park one thing i think that's interesting is lots of times if you're doing big mountain free ride and dh you might be on the same bike or the same frame so i like to think of the splitting the two as in dh you're going fast and free ride you're going big but lots of times you do that on the same equipment which i think is funny yeah, I like to think of free ride too as like anything that's happening off the trail, you know, like you're riding along and you're like, whoa, look at that rock like over there in the woods. I'm going to go try to ride that. That's kind of what I think of for, for free ride. It helps me remember anyway. Free from any constraints. Exactly. You can be artistic. You can, yeah, you can get real creative. Yeah. And just to touch on Greg's point, you know, free ride bikes are generally, you're not riding these to the top of the mountain. You're either shuttling or riding a lift. Yes. One final sort of related mountain bikey term is trials. That's a type of riding, not really a mountain bike thing, is it? But mountain bikers seem to enjoy watching videos about it, right? Whether or not it's mountain biking is sort of weird because there's different types of trials bikes. And sometimes you can do trials riding on a mountain bike. Uh, Just ask Danny McCaskill busting out some trials moves on his uh, Santa Cruz. But a trials bike generally will have maybe tires similar to a mountain bike, but might have a really low top tube, might not have a seat at all. And I just saw a pretty rad video, but I could never really connect with the trials bikes that don't even have a seat. I'm like, you can't even ride that, you know, (laughs) you're just like hopping around. But, But that's what they do. They hop all over, all over the place. Fun to watch though. Yeah. Trials, it seems to be, it's all about like balance and that kind of stuff. Not not crazy free ride, like getting far in the air, but yeah, 
really tricky balancing on the bike. Okay, so let's move into some terms that have to do with trail stuff. So one of my favorites is single track, uh, which is what this podcast and our website is named for, single tracks. Uh, Greg, what what's your definition for single track? Ooh, definition. I would call it a trail that's only wide enough for one person to pass at a time. And yeah, so it's like you're running in single file. You can't like ride two people side by side. You can't walk side by side. It's just one track. And there's all kinds of single track though, right? But that's like the most basic idea. Yeah. And so if there's a single track, there has to be a double track, uh, which which is what, Aaron? That's basically just double width of a single track. So double track can be, you know, there's a lot of different uh, categories of it, I'd say. But generally, this I mean, it could be dirt, it could be gravel, but there's room to like ride side by side. So basically, when I think of double track, I think something about the width of like an ATV. I tend to think of like a grassy trail where vehicles go and, you know, there's literally two tracks uh, created by like a car's tires and yeah, they're spaced. Yeah. The car's tires. For sure. Yeah. There's usually like, you know, the, you know, two lines of dirt or gravel and then like the mound of grass in the middle where it's growing. So yeah, sometimes double track is open to other vehicles. I kind of think of double track as being kind of limited to certain access vehicles, whether that's the forest service or, you know, if you're riding at a resort, it's for like the maintenance crews or something like that. That's kind of what I consider Hmm. double track. Yeah. I I was going to call that fire road, which was our next one. Yeah. Which is like a road that's built for certain types of access, but you know, it's not always open to vehicles. I was just thinking too, you know, we got single track, double track, is there triple track, like where people ride those weird, like three wheel ATVs? Like that. <laughs> well, three wheels aren't side by side. <laughs> right. Well, you got one in the middle and you got two in the back, right? So does that make I three guess, uh, tracks? Nobody rides three wheelers anymore. I'm pretty sure they don't even. In make Canada, them. they do. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> one guy did. And we all know how that ended. Yeah, exactly. That's the guy I was thinking of. Poorly. Well, I, it's funny. I think of Fire Road as having broader access. You know, when I, I think of those as being like the kind of forest service roads, the gravel roads that you either drive up to campsites or you climb to access trail if there's a, if it's the better way to get to the top of a trail without climbing some gnarly piece of single track. That's what I consider a fire road. So that's kind of how I differentiate between double track and fire road. I see double track being more limited access and fire road being broader access. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I first started hearing fire road from some California friends. I'd never heard that term before in the Southeast, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago. And I think, you know, in California and the West coast, there are these fire breaks and roads that literally exist so that the trucks can get up there when there is one of these wildfires that comes. And, you know, for the most part, like the roads are not used for anything else, but yeah. It's interesting that we all have different ideas of what these things mean. One thing you could throw in there is like a forest service road or a four by four road, which they also call four by four trails, but I call those four by four roads, you know? So there's, it's like single tracks actually like the easiest thing to define. Once you start making it wider and throwing a bunch more uses on it, it's like everybody calls it something a little bit different, you know? So, which keeps it, keeps us on our toes, I guess. Yeah. I guess, I mean, as long 
is we're calling them all roads. And then we're just being a little more specific about what type of road it is. Uh, Cause yeah, when I, when you say four by four, that makes it sound a little bit chunkier, rockier than say a double track or a fire road. So yeah, that's cool. One of the words I used at the beginning of the show was flow and flowy. Mountain bikers seem to love that word. What, what does flow mean? There are actually a couple of different ways people use that, right? Oh yeah, this is a big one. I just actually read an entire book about flow and flow states and flowy things, you know. It's actually <laughs> a mental state, which is where the trail gets its name from, which is kind of funny. But uh, you know, a flow mental state is where you're totally in the moment and time starts to dilate and you you are 100% engaged in what you're doing and flow trails basically try to like make that happen as easily as possible. And to do that, they make them somewhat predictable so you know what's coming but like fast and burmy and jumpy and it sort of like launches you in a flow state really easily nice i'm noticing too i mean you just said burmy and technical and like these are all words that we're using to define words but then we have to define those words themselves so like <laughs> i'm just seeing how much of like an insider thing a lot of this is for people who are new to the sport so with that in mind, technical, I use it at the beginning when we're talking about the different types of trails. What is what is a technical trail, Aaron? Or what does it mean when something's really technical? Uh, I think of that as having lots of roots, lots of rocks. You're going to have to rely on your bike handling skills, whether that's climbing or descending. You're going to really have to be on your toes when you're riding a technical trail. That's what I think of. Like Greg said, I mean, you can be in a flowy state or be on a flow trail, but I also think you can be in that flowy state, that mental state when you're on a technical trail. I think you kind of have to be because if you're not, it's a good way to snap your collarbone or something. Yes. So one of the things that mountain bikers consider to be really technical, sort of a trail feature or a trail description is a rock garden. So rock, that sounds really hard, but garden sounds kind of pretty. What do you guys what do you guys think about rock garden as a term? Rock gardens can be pretty. I like a I like a pretty looking rock garden. Yeah. But if you think of like a garden as that like having a bunch of plants in it in like a small space, and then instead of plants you have rocks, then you've got your rock garden. So it's like going through a whole heck of a lot of rocks in a short amount of time, basically. Yeah, so it could just be a little stretch of trail that has a lot of rocks. I mean, generally you think about rock gardens being on on trails that have a lot of different varied features, right? So you're going to have sections that are smooth, sections that have roots, and then sections with rocks and those little patches of rocks, you call that a rock garden. If you're riding in Moab where everything is all rock and that's all there is, then <laughs> that's not, I wouldn't say that was like a rock garden. That's just, that's just trail. That's just Moab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rock garden though is still one of my favorite terms in all of mountain biking, I think. So, also on along those lines, baby heads. It's another, you know, they say the Eskimos have what, like, you know, a hundred different words for snow. I feel like mountain bikers have that many words for rocks. So baby heads, what kind of rocks are those? So this is probably my favorite mountain biking term. Every time I use it, my wife looks at me and she's like totally grossed out. So if you can imagine a bunch of rocks, but they're not connected to the trail, like they're sort of sitting loose on top 
they're roughly the size of baby heads. As you ride through them, they sort of roll around like a bunch of baby heads rolling around on the ground, and that's <laughs> baby heads. So, yeah, it's actually a pretty gross image, but <laughs> I love that term because that's how we roll, I guess. They're like the size of baby heads. So. Right. Are there other sizes? I was trying to think. Are there other, like, like would it be cool to say, like, oh, it's a bunch of watermelon rocks Bowling on the ball. trail? Bowling ball. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Fist size rocks. Yeah. I mean, you have different types. You have like, uh, you know, scree. I guess there's, that's yeah. kind of like a gravelly size, size of rock, but you'd find that on the side of the mountain and scree will mess you up. Yeah. Yeah. So that was another one on my list was pea gravel. That's the one that I was introduced to riding in Colorado. Seems like there's a lot of that out there. How would you describe pea gravel, Greg? Yeah, pea gravel and scree are both sort of different, right? So pea gravel is like it's small rock and it rolls around. You find that in the mountains, but it's more like round and rolly. Sometimes you might say marbly or um, something of that nature. And then scree is usually like loose rock again, but it's like sharp rock, you know? So it's like I guess we do have a dozen different terms for different types of rock. Let's talk about some terms for like sort of man-made trail obstacles, if you will. One of the terms I was introduced to really early on here in the South was whoop-de-doos. What's a whoop-de-doo? I think of those as just being rollers in the trail and that'd be a, a, just a quick succession of up and downs, not not a full-blown climb by any means, um, but just like a pack of of little quick up and downs right in a row. And you kind of get that feeling where uh, the feeling of weightlessness when you're transitioning through them really quickly, kind of like when you drive over a, a steep hill in your car really fast. Yeah. Yeah, and you said rollers. I know some people had asked about that one in the forums not too long ago. Somebody said, what's a roller? So you have a, a good definition for that? Uh, a single whoop-de-doo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whoop-de-doo has to have at least two because you got to go whoop and then de-doo. Yeah, right. well, maybe that's three. It's three P. Is it the de-doo the, just the second part? It's a part? triple, yeah. Yeah, you got to go the whoop and then the whoop is up the front, the D is over the top, and the do is on the backside. Or something. <laughs> yeah. something like that. And if you keep going, you can just keep whooping and then it's all good. I, th- I think of rollers... Like I said, I, I kind of think of whoop-de-doos as a series of these smaller rollers, and maybe rollers are a little bit bigger. Um, rollers is also a term you'll see on the road cycling side of thing, and those are just hills that are not not really big. They're kind of they're the kind of hills that if you if you're carrying momentum and you're keeping a good pace, you can just power up and over with you. Know, you're not going to be like standing up and grinding up this climb for hours on end. It's going to be over really quick. Yeah. I think of them as like really rounded uh, little hills where you can go really fast and you're still not going to get in the air unless you're really trying to. You know, you can you can just kind of roll over them instead of getting launched off of them. Further complicating the issue is you can ride rollers indoors, which is one of the things <laughs> you can use to uh, to train indoors in the winter time. But that's something totally different from what we're talking about. But it's got the same name. Yeah. So if rollers, according to my definition anyway, are sort of rounded. A tabletop is kind of the opposite of that, or it's the more square version of that. What's a tabletop, Aaron? Tabletop is a roller with a lip on it, meaning it's angled at the top of it to purposely throw you up into the air. And a tabletop is a jump that 
has a flat top in between the takeoff and landing where different jumps, you know, if, if you probably heard people say like a double jump, that's where you have to make it to the transition or things are going to end badly for you. With a tabletop, if you hit the jump and you don't clear the entire jump, no big deal because you land on a nice flat piece of dirt. But a gap jump or a double jump is not going to have that. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a so gap. You, you in better clear it. Yeah, I, I would describe a tabletop too. If you think of like a cross section of the feature, you know, it's going to look like a trapezoid. Basically, there's going to be like a steep angle leading up and then it's going to flatten out and there's going to be a, an angle on the backside. So there's definitely some technique to riding those, but you can also just kind of roll them. You know, if you don't, if you don't want to get in the air, you don't always have to. Yeah, they're great for learning on. So you'll see these on, if you're at a bike park, you'll see these on the green and blue trails where people are still, you know, adjusting to, to learning how to jump. They don't want to just throw gap jumps at you, you know, because obviously like you said, come up short and you're going to be in a world of hurt. You're either going to fall into the gap in between the two, the takeoff and the landing, or you're going to like slam into the front side of the landing, which is equally bad. Yes. Well, speaking of bad stuff and I don't know, I associate this with new riders or people just learning how to ride really fast on trails, braking bumps. What are braking bumps and what causes that, Greg? Braking bumps will be a, like a series of what you might call stutter bumps, but they arise from people braking like in the same spot. And lots of times you'll see a set of braking bumps as you're going into a corner, maybe a jump, maybe through a high speed section. And these most often form on trails with like a lot of traffic, downhill trails, stuff like that. And while sometimes they form from people like locking it up and skidding or braking really hard, like you'll have braking bumps form even in pro level conditions. So it's not necessarily just associated with like beginners. Right. Yeah. If everyone's braking in the same zone over and over and over, it's going to cause braking bumps. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I feel like it's the trail version of like washboard conditions on a dirt road, you know, the vehicles create. Um, yeah, it's the same kind of thing and it can be annoying when you hit those, you know, really kind of very jarring. Yeah. It jars you around. It's not, not super awesome when these form too, like a bike park or places like that. They usually, that's a time when they need to go and maintain the trail and kind of smooth those out. Cause like you guys said, they, they will form no matter who's riding over time. And it's just something that needs to be fixed on the trail. So speaking of trail conditions, one that a term that people should know, especially this time of year, is freeze-thaw. What's freeze-thaw about, Greg? That is a trail condition that happens when your overnight temps drop below freezing and then in the day they warm up over freezing. And so as you know, you don't really want to ride trails when they're wet because you're going to leave ruts, tear up the trail. It's not awesome. And in freeze-thaw conditions – you could ride early in the morning when the trail's frozen, it'd be great. And later in the day, once it's thawed out, it'd be really bad. So um, it's kind of a really tricky trail situation because some people just want to say, oh, don't ride right now. But it's like, if you ride when it's frozen, it's going to be okay. But that line in transition happens really quick. Yeah. And once it's thawed, the problem is the trail's going to be soft and you're going to leave ruts. And then those ruts will freeze overnight and trail is yeah turns to junk yeah yeah it doesn't feel good to be riding in somebody else's ruts 
And and one of the conditions that people talk about that's sort of in between freeze thaw is peanut butter. We talk about peanut butter trail conditions, and that's just what it sounds like. You know, that's it's that like really sticky mud that gets all over your bike and not good for the trail. So if people are talking about a trail having peanut butter conditions, that's when you want to stay away from the trail. Yeah, you probably shouldn't be riding. Along those lines, tacky is another one, uh, right, Greg? That's, I mean, we talked about mountain bikers having a lot of different words for rocks. I feel like we have a whole subset of vocabulary just for trail conditions. So what, what are tacky trails like? I remember the first time I used this word to describe a trail, my wife was like, your trails are what? <laughs> um, because you think of tacky like being poorly dressed or like out of style, but like on a trail, it's really good. You know, tacky is when a trail is not too wet, but it's not too dry and you've got like amazing traction. Sometimes we might also call this hero dirt where it's like just perfect. It's not too dry, not too wet, just right. Yeah. Another sort of trail condition that a lot of people really like is called hard pack. Aaron, what's hard pack trail conditions referring to? You get a lot of that down here uh, in Georgia in the summer when it's been dry for a while and the, it's 100 degrees out and the trail just gets baked to the consistency of concrete. And hard pack is nice because you can just absolutely fly on it. Uh, it can get little sketchy if you've got what's called loose over hard. So if you have, you know, little bits of gravel or dirt and that just piles up over the top of the hard pack, that can be, that can be actually one of the toughest situations. There's no tires that really excel in those kind of conditions. So yeah, you can get pretty sketchy in the turns with the loose over hard pack situation. Yeah. I mean that to me, it's, it's almost like riding in ice, you know, you really can't corner your wheels just seem to slide right out from underneath you in that kind of conditions. Yeah, very unpredictable. One of one of the ones I think we're missing here is loam, right? Yeah, loam. Ooh. That's that's like hero dirt, right? For Canadians. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, if you're in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. So what about loam? What's what's so good about it? Why do people really like it? It's like you could, we also call it brown pow. It's like Chabra. skiing powder, but you're in dirt and it's amazing. It really is. It's this soft, fluffy soil that just has insane traction and you can just just rail turns in it. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. Like Greg said, it's like riding powder, but you're on a mountain bike. Nice. I mean, is loam though, is it sort of only in certain parts of the country or... Where, where have you guys found loam outside of the usual spots like, you know, British Columbia and the Pacific Northwest? It really depends on the trail. I think you kind of have to have a shady sort of forest because it's a lot of organic matter. It's basically decayed, you know, decayed wood and leaves and stuff like that. Um, so you have to have that kind of material around. So obviously if you, you're in Moab, you're not going to find loam. But I've, I've found it in on very select trails in Georgia uh, if the conditions are just right. Yeah, I would agree with that, you know, because it's like 
we talk about BC and the Pacific Northwest having loam and they've got just like loam all over the place. But you can find like pockets of just the right forest uh, just about anywhere, even high elevation in Moab, like maybe in yeah, a, that's true. an aspen forest. You know, if you anywhere you get a lot of that deciduous stuff that builds up and decomposes and then doesn't get ridden too much, you could get some good loam in there. Nice. Okay, some other sort of trail features that people might encounter, might hear about. One sort of umbrella term that people use is North Shore. What, is, what do they mean when they say like that's a really North Shore trail or it's got some North Shore features on it? Usually this means there's a lot of man-made built wooden features in the trail. So where somebody's gone out and they've built possibly what we call ladder bridges. That's sort of the, the classic example, which if you think of a ladder laid down and you're riding over it, that's kind of what a ladder bridge is. Yeah. Where did the term come from, Aaron? Why is it North Shore? Where, North Shore of what? North Shore of Vancouver. So this is Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, you have the city of downtown Vancouver and then across the, I don't know, I guess it's a sound technically. Um, across the sound, you have the city of North Vancouver and Right there, you have two mountains. You have Mount Seymour and Mount Frome, and they just have some really gnarly trails. I think North Shore definitely, you know, definitely a lot of people think of those ladders and man-made features, but the North Shore more generally is just really technical, really demanding kind of riding. I've ridden there a couple of times, most recently last September or October. And yeah, it's just, just the kind of place where you ride – and you'll ride all day and maybe you'll ride 18 miles, but you <laughs> just got your butt kicked in because the, the climbs are insanely steep. The descents are very technically demanding and you, being uh, the Pacific Northwest, you can have really crazy conditions like the day we rode started out nice and then it got freezing cold and got, we got hailed on and rain and there was lightning and then the sun came back out. Uh, so it's really, really will test you mentally and physically. Sounds like you're making a case for like using that as a term to describe a ride. Like, whoa, that ride was really North Shore. Like the weather got crazy and it was really technical. I won't be doing that. <laughs> Just like I won't be saying I went on an enduro ride. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Okay, so Greg, you mentioned ladder bridges as sort of a North Shore, classic North Shore type feature. Another one I wanted to mention was skinnies. And again, th these could be built out of, you know, lumber or wood, or they could also be built out of logs or things. What's a, what's a skinny, Greg? What's it for? A skinny is for possibly breaking yourself in half. Um, <laughs> I, th there's not really like a good reason except for like added challenge. But basically, it's... Um, a piece of wood generally of some sort that's very skinny that you ride your bike along. And the classic North Shore ones that you think about are going to be like way up in the trees. Like some are 20, 30 feet in the air and you'll see people riding along a board that's like three inches, four inches wide. Like Ooh. stuff's crazy. But, you know, it could even apply to like a log that's been cut in half and you're riding down the log and it's on the ground. So there's Lots of different types of skinnies and different potential for dying on them. Yes. And we should note that most skinnies, you know, if they're built in a reputable trail system, are going to have what's known as a ride around. 
And that's simply a little section of trail that rides around the obstacle so that the obstacle itself is optional and you don't have to ride it. Another man-made feature that you're starting to see on more and more trails these days is a wall ride. And that's pretty much what it sounds like, right, Aaron? Yeah, it's a, a wall that you ride on. I guess we didn't mention this earlier, but it's kind of like an extended berm. And a berm is a turn that has been shaped to allow you to carry your speed through the turn um, without braking, essentially. You'll most of the time see these on flow trails, like Greg mentioned earlier, but you can also, you can berm any turn if you have enough dirt. But a wall ride just basically extends a berm vertically to allow you to get higher up on it. And there's no practical reason to have a wall ride. They're just really fun to ride. Yeah, nice. And and we're seeing them built really high now. And, and a lot of them too, they'll be like sort of graduated. So at the bottom, you know, it's got like kind of a reasonable angle and then the angle gets steeper the higher up the wall you get. And obviously if you can carry a lot of speed into it, you can you can almost get going horizontal on it, which is really cool to see photos of people doing that. And yeah, just seeing like how high up a wall people can actually ride on a mountain bike with enough speed. Yeah. The higher up uh, you want to go, the faster you need to go and the more perpendicular to that wall you need to be. Because if you get up there and you don't have enough speed and you start to sit up, your tires aren't going to have any traction and you're going to slide down the wall ride, which yeah. can be very painful. Yes, it can be. So another trail feature, man-made trail feature that I feel like we're not seeing as much anymore as we used to is the log stack. You guys see many log stacks these days, like at, you know, trail systems? The log stack was always just a lazy way to avoid cutting out a down tree. So I feel like, right. you know, people are just maintaining their trails maybe a little bit better. And you generally only get those in certain types of forests and certain types of areas like the southeast, you know, where you tree will fall down and you pile up a bunch of logs next to it and then you go over it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I still see them a lot on our bandit trails around town because, yeah, I mean, you're yeah. not going to take a chainsaw into some trail that maybe is yeah. questionable. It's a good way to get caught. Yeah. Yeah. If you're like trails. chainsawing right behind someone's house. Yeah. But no, I still feel idea. like they're a lot of fun to ride. And oh, I, I love take, them. I yeah. take a lot of you know, pride in being able to like ride some of the steeper ones or taller ones. Cause yeah. And, and what I think is cool about them and again, why I, I'm kind of bummed that we don't see them as much these days is cause they're like constantly changing, you know, the logs are like rotting on them. And so every time you, you hit a log stack, you don't know exactly what's on the other side of it. Or, right. Yeah. Does this have a backside? Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. so. I don't know. I, I think they're pretty exciting, but yeah. like you said, Greg, they're, they're, it's a dying art form because people are like, oh, this, you know, tree fell on the trail. We got to get that out of the way right away. Yeah, I like them just, just, just because they're fun. They're also really good practice for developing your skills. I mean, the skills that you use to get up and over um, a log stack are the same you would to get up on a ledge. So someplace, again, going back to Moab where there's a lot of ledges, some of them could be two, three feet high. If you've been riding lots of log stacks, you're, you're, you're going to be prepared when you see those things out on a trail. Yeah, it takes a lot of balance and a lot of practice. Okay, finally, I've got some trail building terms, and I'm going to challenge 
I'm going to challenge Greg to use all three in one sentence. So we've oh got off camber, bench cut, and fall line. See if you can use all three of those in a sentence and help people understand <laughs> what it's talking about. <laughs> Bro, remember you were out on an enduro ride on some sweet <laughs> off camber. So if I'm riding along a bench cut trail that's cutting the side of the hill, I might hit a turn where all of a sudden it goes off camber and the trail slope into the outside of the turn and it gets really sketchy. And after I've ridden through my off camber turn, suddenly trail's not bench cut anymore and it drops into a steep fall line section that goes straight down the mountainside. And, uh, and then I'm straight up enduring because you only endure on fall line trails. Nice. Was that one sentence? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll need to go back and check the record on that. See, see where we can insert some punctuation. There, yeah. There's at least nine commas in there. Yeah. And maybe some some semicolons even. Yeah. <laughs> well, I maybe that wasn't fair because I don't know if we can get all three in one sentence, but I wanted to say that a bench cut is something you do on a trail that is off camber. And so That's not right though, I don't think. No? No. Maybe I'm just disagreeing. When you're traversing but, across a hill. Yeah. That's off camber. Well, you're off camber, but you do the bench cut, so it's not off camber. Exactly. Right? That's what I said. I said you you build a bench cut on an off camber section, so you can get rid of that, right? Well, off camber is sort of like a descriptor of what the trail's doing, and uh, the best example is like in a corner where the corner is like sloping away from where you're trying to turn. So if I'm turning left and the corner's sloping right, then it's off camber. If I'm going across a hill and the, the trail is at like a pretty awkward angle and it's like sloping to the outside really hard, mm-hmm. and that's off camber. So a bench cut sort of prevents your trail right. from being off camber. I guess the the first one you're talking about, I call that a switchback, but I guess I see I see what you're saying. Well, switchbacks can be off camber or on or, camber. Yeah, or they could be bermed. Right. Or they could be burned. Could be over cambered. Okay, so a bench cut works on off camber that's going perpendicular to a hill, uh, and the opposite of that would be a fall line trail that just goes straight down the hill, right? Yeah, that follows the most direct route down the mountain, which are the least sustainable form of trails, <laughs> right? But mm-hmm. arguably some of the most fun. Yes, <laughs> but it's a, you lose your elevation really fast. So while you uh, Enjoy the ride down. You don't get a lot for your money. Right. Definitely. Yeah, I'm always bummed to, yeah, just go straight down a hill after climbing for a really long time. Yeah, just seems like a waste. Okay. Uh, so hopefully we didn't confuse people too much with that attempt at defining some of those terms. We're going to take a break really quick for a word from our sponsor, but stay tuned because we're going to start talking about skills and bike terms. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for mountain bikers. Just like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. So we've been talking about this for a while, but who is this Health IQ company anyway? Yeah, this isn't just some fly-by-night operation here. Uh, They're a Silicon Valley company, and uh, they work with some of the largest life insurance underwriters in the industry. They're also the fastest-growing life insurance agency with over $5 billion, that's with a B, in coverage. And, you know, you should go to Trustpilot if you don't believe us. Check out their reviews there. They've got a 9.6 out of 10 overall rating, which is pretty good. 
Yeah, it's like 96%. That's, that's an A where I come from. That's good math. So is this some kind of lead generation thing where Health IQ just forwards your info onto another provider? No, Health IQ takes the customer through the journey from when they first submit interest to starting an application, going through underwriting to policy enforce. This policy ends up being underwritten by one of the top partners in the industry, an insurer. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash singletracks or mention the promo code singletracks when you talk to a Health IQ agent. And we're back. So now I want to talk about some skills, terms that people use to describe things that you can do on a mountain bike. So the first one that came to my mind anyway was Indo. What's an Indo, Greg? What's that? Is that short for something or is that an acronym? Yeah, it's short for end over end. And if you can imagine going down a trail and then your front wheel stops and you like go flying over the handlebars and you go flipping end over end, that's an endo. And so we also use other words to describe this, like Superman, it's the same idea, over the bars, or OTB, which Jeff mentioned earlier, same idea again. It's uh, not, not not super pleasant. Yeah, and I think we could add to that list faceplant too. Oh, you yeah. Basically end up on your face. Well, I think endo can also be kind of a synonym for a stoppy, and that's when you are braking heavily on your front wheel and you're balancing on your front wheel so that you can either do that to get around a super sharp turn if you've got mad skills or you know you can just do it in a straight line to impress your friends. So I, I don't think an endo always means you end up in a face plant. Yeah, I guess I always associated with crashes, but there are intentional endos like you mentioned. Interesting. All right, what about bunny hop? That seems to be a skill that like everybody, it's kind of like a fundamental skill and one that everybody kind of wants to master early on in their mountain bike career. What's a bunny hop, Aaron? Bunny hop is where you hop your bike. You get your both wheels off the ground. There's a couple different ways you can do it. The most technically correct way is kind of a a two-part thing where you lift the front wheel first and then your rear wheel follows it through the air. That's your... Um, legit bunny hop. I think they call that an American bunny hop. And then like a British bunny hop is where you lift both wheels at the same time, which a lot of people end up doing because they start riding in clipless pedals too early on. And so they rely on being clipped in to, um, I know I just said clipless and then clipped in, but, uh, <laughs> it's right. It's right. Trust <laughs> Check me. It. Yeah. Check it. It's right. Um, go to single tracks and search. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. People rely on being attached firmly to their pedals via a cleat mechanism um, to pull their rear wheel up, and that's kind of cheating. You know, it will get the job done up to a certain point, but when you start bunny hopping really big stuff, that's where the technique becomes of uh, paramount importance. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel like too. Another similar term is like the speed hop, where you're you're riding real fast down trail, and you just need to like jump over something kind of small. I feel like that you can you can definitely get away with just using your clipless pedals to True. speed hop right. a thing. Yeah, but, it's your little English bunny hop. Yeah. But if you if you really need to get over like a log that's two feet off the ground, you're gonna have to you have to throw down a real bunny hop. Yep. Yeah. And it also is kind of learning bunny hopping is the that's gonna lay the foundation for learning how to jump later on because the moves are kind of the same. Yeah. 
Well, let's keep going. Let's talk about some more skills. What about, what about wheelie and manual? Those are two things that I feel like people get those two confused a lot because they're, they're kind of similar, right? Can you walk us through the difference, Greg? Yeah. So a wheelie, basically when you're wheeling, like you're pedaling still. So you're up on your rear wheel, your front wheels off the ground and you're pedaling through it. Manual, you're Looks pretty much the same, but you aren't pedaling at the time. So you start to initiate it a little bit differently. And explaining how to initiate those two things is way beyond the scope of this podcast. But I would even say like, you know, Aaron before was talking about riding the front wheel. I'd call that almost a nose manual too. So there's a lot of times we can use. Yeah, or a nose wheelie. Yeah. yeah. A nosy. But then normally wheelie, normally a wheelie you're pedaling, normally a manual you're not pedaling. So that's our how that plays out. Manual is easier at speed and a wheelie is easier at slow speeds. So that could differentiate when you use those things. Yeah. Yeah. Good explanation. What about a huck? That's Aaron, you mentioned jumping uh, when we we're talking about bunny hops. What, did, what does it mean to huck off of something, Aaron? I would say hucking is when you jump off of something that's not exactly built as a jump maybe like so you know like let's say like just like a trail feature like you ride off a rock or you like jump a big section of roots you're just hucking you know there's not like a a nice manicured little jump right there for you to hit hmm. that's kind of how i think about hucking okay i assumed it meant uh like jumping off something to flat so just kind of like flying off of well that's hucking to flat right that's hucking to flat so maybe that's why i think of it but yeah i just kind of use i just huck. shorten it to huck yeah but you can huck you can huck to a landing yeah you don't always have to huck to flat i would say the takeoff on a huck is flat and like if the takeoff has a lip then all of a sudden you're jumping you're not hucking anymore right yeah, yeah. maybe that's what i'm thinking is that the the takeoff is almost completely horizontal instead of sort of launching you into the air all right. What about we're still talking about jumping? Uh, a lot of times you'll hear somebody said that they cased a jump or casing a jump or what kegged it? it. Kegged it. All right. That's a new one for me. So what is, was casing a jump mean? This is when you don't reach the transition zone. And the transition zone is usually like a downward slope part where you're supposed to be landing. And it's easier to land on a down slope than a flat spot. So if you come up short, you basically cased it. And um, lots of times, especially if you've got a gap jump, you might like actually hit the knuckle of the jump and that never ends well. And another related term is like overshooting a jump. And this is where you go way past the transition. And I think that's a little subtly different from casing because you're not coming up short, you're going long. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So casing, that makes sense if it's coming up short. Where does that, you guys have any idea where that term comes from? I think it comes from motorcycles, right? Where you hit the, the case, your engine case, the bottom of it, and uh, you smack down on a jump. Okay. I yeah. think so. I, I mean, that makes sense. That's it. a good, good guess. Is yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> nice. So we mentioned at the front of the show the term noob. And I don't know that that's a mountain biking term or anything, uh, but it just means somebody who's new to the sport. And a couple of the things that I associate with noobs are the chain ring tattoo for one. What's a chain ring tattoo, Aaron? Is that, is that like a tattoo you get to show like how into biking you are? Uh, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> if you really want to be part of the tribe, 
the chain ring tattoo, I mean, I hate to admit this. I still get those occasionally. Yeah. It's when you're not thinking and you you have your right foot unclipped, which is your drive side of your bike where your chain ring is, and you get a greasy imprint on your calf from from your chain ring and chain. I guess we don't see these I guess I don't do it at least on my mountain bike quite as often now that we've moved to single ring drivetrains primarily, but I still get them on my road bike pretty much all the time yeah, like when I stop too. at a you know traffic light or something like that. I think the key if you want to be super cool and avoid the chain ring tattoo which you know who cares but <laughs> just don't ever unclip with your right foot. Yeah. And you'll be good. There you go. Nobody will make fun of you. Pro tip. Sweet. Well, what about uh, a similar way to brand yourself quite literally is to get a rotor burn. I don't know. Is there a cool term for that? But that's a thing too, right? Where you can you can get the imprint of your brake rotor on your calf. I've done that. You ever seen that? Yeah, you've done that. Yeah, okay. that's not great. You've got a, it's it's a literal literal burn. It's a uh, yeah, that's no fun at all because those things get hot when you're braking. So be careful of that when you stop. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, you shouldn't, I mean, generally something's gone wrong if you're getting a rotor burn. Um, I did it a, a couple of years ago. I crashed on a downhill and when I got back up, my bars were turned super sideways. So I was trying to straighten out my bars and get going again. And I didn't really think about it. And I, you know, grabbed my fork in between my legs, um, to hold it steady to kind of yank the bars back into place. And when I did so, I pressed my calf against the rotor Ooh. and I had a, I had a huge burn from that. Yeah, it really sucked. <laughs> Do you still have the scar? I don't. Thankfully. Oh man, no, I rubbed some vitamin E on. It All right, went away. That's good. <laughs> that's good. One one final one that's not permanent is the racing stripe. What's that from, Greg? It's usually if it's sort of wet outside and your rear tire is spitting up a bunch of mud or dirt, you could get a stripe of dirt that. Runs all the way up your backside. Yeah. I'm sure and, uh, there's more colorful names for that. I don't know. I think I there are. Was, yeah. Maybe maybe if there are, we shouldn't share them. But yeah, <laughs> you get the idea. All right. So lastly, and this is an area where there's a lot of lingo and words that yeah aren't really used outside of the bike industry, not even outside of mountain biking. So let's talk about bike terms. Hardtail, that's a good starting point for a lot of people. What exactly is a hardtail, Greg? So hardtail is where you're on a bicycle and the rear of your bike like doesn't move. There's no suspension on the rear, but you do have suspension up front and we call that a suspension fork. Um, so if you think about the rear of your bike, it's like hard and it's not going to go anywhere. I guess a comparison to this is a full suspension bike where you have suspension front and rear and so all of a sudden your tail isn't hard anymore it's sort of soft and it's full suspension yeah but then one thing that i guess a lot of people especially new riders get confused is they they think the opposite of a hard tail or a full suspension would be a soft tail but that's not right is it aaron but soft tail is a real thing soft tails are a real thing they're kind of a hybrid some unholy beast in between <laughs> a hard tail and a full suspension they kind of came about from the early days where full suspensions were pretty terrible. So most people were still preferring to ride hardtails. But a soft tail basically has engineered flex in the rear triangle, which is that rear part of the bike. And sometimes this was done through an elastomer. Sometimes it's done through a little tiny shock. Um, but it gives you not exactly suspension travel because we're talking about 
less than 20 millimeters probably in most cases maybe 10 yeah. millimeters it just takes a little bit of the sting off of a hardtail uh, you don't really see these bikes anymore uh, i'm sure maybe linsky's still making one I, oh, actually moots, moots, yeah. moots still moots does one. one but you know only dentists buy moots anyway so uh, <laughs> just kidding they're great bikes and a great company but yeah generally speaking you don't see a lot of these bikes out in the wild Be- part of the reason is the way you can design and build hardtails between the material you choose and like you know even if you're using steel you can choose like different tube sets and things to make a really you can get the best ride quality that you want so you can get you know, the, the level of stiffness you want along with a level, some level of compliance. So it's not beating the crap out of you. That's why we don't really see soft tails so much anymore. Yeah. And like you said, a soft tail is not suspension. The thing in the back, it's, it's an elastomer or it's something else, but yeah, another way that these days people are dealing with that or, you know, given a little bit softer ride is through bigger tires. So plus tires and fat bike tires, which again are not suspension, but they do smooth out the trail or, or make it a little bit less harsh on your ride. So speaking of a harsh ride, there are also mountain bikes called rigid bikes. Greg, you kind of touched on this, but give us a, a real definition for a rigid mountain bike. All right. We talked about full suspension, which has suspension front and rear. Rigid has no suspension, so there's no suspension fork. Your fork, which connects your front wheel to your frame, that doesn't move at all. So one uh, one pet peeve of mine is when people mix up rigid and hardtail. Like they'll, I won't have a full suspension bike, and they'll be like, "Oh, that's rigid." I'm like, "No, it's got a fork on it." Or I'll be riding my fat bike, and they'll be like, "Oh, that's a hardtail." I'm like, "No, it doesn't have a suspension fork on it." So rigid's no suspension, no suspension at all. That's it. Well, go. let's see. A rigid bike is always a hardtail, but a hardtail isn't always rigid. Yeah, that's kind of yes. how I see it. Yeah, it's like the. The square and the rectangle. Wait, no. Yeah. You're saying the opposite, Greg. You're saying that they, it can't be both, that a rigid is not a hardtail. That's what I'm saying. I'm definitely saying that. I mean, a hardtail means the tail is hard and the front's not hard. That's what I'm saying. That's that's my argument. All right. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, you you don't see, again, you don't see a ton of these bikes out there, kind of like the soft tail. You'll see more than, you'll see more rigid bikes than you will soft tails. A lot of like Greg's fat bike is a fully rigid bike. And so you'll see that fairly often. And a lot of people who ride single speeds, which is a bike with a single gear on it, meaning one, one chain ring, one cog, one chain, no shifter. That's a single speed. So sometimes people who are riding single speed will also ride rigid just because it's the most simple bike or the simplest bike, I guess that you can have so super reliable and very very light the downside of course being that it uh, beats crap out of your hands on the descents yeah yeah that is funny that a lot of the single speeds are rigid yeah it's people that they're like super masochist people that don't want they don't want any help on the trail basically yeah how do you know if someone rides a single speed i don't know how they'll tell you (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so true. They probably also passed me too, so you know that's a great indicator. Yeah, <laughs> single yeah, single speeds are just one of those things that you either you either like it or you don't. But if you do it, they'll definitely make you a stronger rider. I like riding a single speed. My knees don't like it so much anymore. 
I have ridden a rigid, like I said. If you ride a single speed, they'll tell you. But uh, yeah, I, I, riding rigid is great for climbing, for sure. Um, I mean, there's just, just instant pow- power transfer, super lightweight, but it just uh, takes it takes so much out of you on the descents. You really have to pick much safer lines. You can't really open it up as much. So when I ride a single speed now, I definitely prefer to have a hard tail, meaning a bike with a suspension fork. Yeah. One advantage of a rigid bike, and you know, I, I know a couple people who ride them regularly, but an advantage is that they're really lightweight because you, you get rid of that suspension fork, which you know, you can easily save two or three pounds on yeah. most bikes by going rigid. So, but it, it's definitely a different style of riding too, because yeah, you don't have suspension. I actually think we've got a whole podcast on this too. If anybody wants more information yeah. on single speeds, yeah. But yeah, just to give you an idea, like my cheap steel rigid single speed was 20 pounds, I think. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. And I mean, really? if you get a, yeah, if you get a carbon frame, I mean, you can get them. Yeah, you can get them down to like road bike weight, essentially. Yeah. Which is makes a difference when you're out there. Exactly. But, and it makes it easier to do the things we were talking about earlier, like, you know, bunny hops and speed hops and stuff. And so instead of relying on your suspension to do a lot of that work, you can get the bike up and off the trail more often. And yeah, it's just a different kind of flow, if you will. Okay. So one of the big things that if you've been around mountain biking for a while, you're aware of, uh, there are all different kinds of wheel sizes out there. No, there aren't, man. 26 for life. Yeah. 26. <laughs> I mean, that was not even one I was going to bring up because I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I guess sensitive. it's too sensitive or I don't know. Maybe that's just like what you call a mountain bike wheel or it used to be anyway. So we had to invent these terms for the new sizes that came out after 26. So one of the first ones to get a lot of popularity was the 29er. Why is it called 29er, Greg? Basically a 29 inch diameter. Hopefully I've got that right. I always get those two confused diameter radius and all that stuff. But so 26er was the original tire. That's a definitely diameter. Yeah. Not radius. Okay. Yeah, radius would be huge. Um, But I usually am like, all right, I got to Google and just make sure I'm not saying the wrong thing. (laughs) Geometry. Yeah, so 26 was what it was originally, and then we introduced 29ers into the picture, which is like three inches bigger diameter, so it's a bigger wheel. Yeah, and then just a few years after that, uh, people started reviving sort of an old wheel size standard that's in between 26-inch wheels and 29er 29-inch wheels. And oddly enough, initially we were calling it 650B. What's that all about, Aaron? Man, beats me. <laughs> it's So 650B comes from, I think, the French rim sizing standard. It's really confusing, but 622 is the sizing for a 26-inch wheel. 650 is the sizing for a 27.5-inch wheel and 700 is the sizing for a 29-inch wheel, which also <laughs> happens to be the same as road wheels. Um, so that's why yeah. you can, you know, you could fit a set of road slicks on your 29er if you really wanted to. Um, but yeah, so this in-between wheel size, they call it 27.5 just because it was easier to do for marketing purposes, but it's actually closer to 26 than it is to 29. It's not exactly halfway in between. I think it's just over an inch bigger than a 26 inch wheel. 
Interesting. Yeah, I, I I just love the fact that mountain bikers do all their stuff in inches. You know, like we wanted to be separate from road biking and be like, no, nah, we're not doing this in millimeters. Like we're doing the inches. And so it's just kind of weird that initially we were using the road designation for the the what we now call twenty seven five wheels. So yeah, you guys you guys think that's odd? Well, we're we're seeing that. It's really odd. <laughs> yeah. We're seeing that change though, right? I I think you it yeah, true. Ten years ago companies used to market their four inch travel bike or five or six inch travel bike yeah. or whatever, but travel has now mostly moved to millimeters. I don't think anybody says like this is my you know, this is the new yeah. six inch travel bike. I, was, I the, saw it though with uh Fox is doing it. Except for Yeti. Yeah, and Yeti's with their things, but Fox, their new dropper post, they they're like this is a four inch drop. It's a five inch drop, but they're also doing millimeters. But they also do. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is weird. So for most things, people have moved to millimeters, but for some reason with wheel sizes, we still stick with inches. Like nobody says I have like a 32 inch handlebar, you know, everyone says like yeah. my bars are 760 millimeters wide and no one says I have eight inch long cranks. You say I have 175 millimeter crank arms. Yeah. I, I always assumed or thought that maybe it was because, you know, mountain biking was invented in America. So we're like, we're going to use American, America. American units on everything. Well, it's also weird. I think when we measure individual components, we tend to do it in grams. But then when we talk about bike weight, we do it in pounds. Oh, like, yeah. You know, if if you tell somebody that a tire weighs 800 grams, they kind of have a point of reference for if that's heavy or light compared mm-hmm. to what they run. But if you tell somebody you're bike weighs 14 kilos they look at you funny they're like what is that in pounds yeah so it is weird it's weird how we we switch units that's why in my articles i always like to give both yeah that's a good good point our measurements are totally messed up and it's it's all our fault really here in the u.s i think we're the only ones that yeah still have this like hybrid measurement system and we're kind of forcing it on other people but it seems like it's changing Actually, the Brits are kind of messed up. Like, uh, you'd think the Brits would do everything in metric. They actually do their distance in miles. <laughs> I, which I didn't know until I went to Scotland. I was like, wait a second. Why are you guys measuring in miles and miles per hour? And they're like, oh, that's what we use. And I was like, <laughs> and their weight in why? stones too. So yeah, yeah stone. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about tire width too? Cause that's like yeah. something that nobody can ever define. And we talk about that in inches, which I think is interesting. I had somebody, uh, I had a few people get irritated with my fat bike article and I said fat bike tires are at least or greater than 3.5 inches and I had people telling me that 3.5 inches was a plus tire. Hmm. I was like, no, I don't think that's a plus tire either. <laughs> so what's the, what's a 3.5 inch tire? What do you call yeah, that? Be, I mean, I would call that fat. Yeah, well, I learned in... To its face. I learned in elementary school, if, if you're 0.5 and up, you round up, so... <laughs> 3.5, that's a four-inch tire, and clearly that's fat biking, right? Well, clearly, I got in trouble. <laughs> I just changed it to 3.8, so there was little discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right, uh, let's start talking about bike parts. Um, the front triangle. So basically a bike frame is two triangles. Maybe this is obvious to people, but I guess there are some people that might wonder about this. If you look at a bike frame, it's basically yeah two triangles uh, connected together. You got your front triangle and your rear triangle. So that's what people are talking about there. 
What about the seat stay? Aaron, can you explain that sort of? I mean, it'd be easier to look at a picture. It would be. But, but seat stays are what run from your, if you were on a hardtail, these would run from your seat tube down to the axle, to the rear axle. So those are your seat stays. And then your chain stays are what run more or less um, parallel with the ground from your bottom bracket, which is where your cranks are, back to the rear axle. And where those seat stays and chain stays meet, that's your dropout. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's talk about, you mentioned several terms there. So yeah, let's, I did. let's talk about bottom bracket because <laughs> that's one that always confuses me just because it's it's not like a bracket, right? No, it's not. It's a, another tube. Yeah. What <laughs> What is the bottom bracket? I mean, it's a tube. You're right. It's a, there's a bottom bracket tube, I guess you would call it, but then there's also the bottom bracket, like the part that you attach, you know, your cranks to. So can you explain a little bit what a bottom bracket is? Uh, yeah. So a bottom bracket is, it's, it's where all, basically all your tubes come together. So this is where your down tube from your front triangle joins. Um, and then that's where your seat tube joins in and then it's where your chain stays join in. So this is kind of the heart of your bike, if you will. This is where your, your bottom, so that itself is called the bottom bracket. And then the little thing with bearings with the cups and everything that screws into or presses into your frame. That's also called a bottom bracket. And then your cranks go through that. So the axle will slide through the bearings and then you mount up the other crank arm and that's how you propel your bike. So the bottom bracket is a very high stress area on the bike, obviously, because whether you're pedaling or not, you're putting a lot of force through that area. Yeah, and it's essentially the center of gravity for your bike, isn't it? Yeah, that's why it's the heart. Yeah, right. And sometimes that's abbreviated BB, in case you ever see that and you're not sure what it is. It's the bottom bracket. Okay, you also mentioned dropouts. Greg, what are dropouts? Are we talking about people who like don't finish high school? or Those are burnouts. Oh, those are burnouts. <laughs> dropouts are, yeah, something different, right? That is... If you took your axle out of your frame, your wheel would drop out and it drops out of the dropouts, basically. <laughs> nice. And that's sort of like where your wheel like gets stuck in and then connected to the frame. You can have different types of dropouts, which make it a little bit more confusing maybe because back in the day we had, uh, I guess we called them open dropouts. I can't even yeah. remember anymore. Yep. Yep. But And like your wheel would literally drop out. And now we have like through axles, but we still have dropouts even though – axles go all the way through and they're not like and they're threaded in and aren't open anymore but we still have dropouts yeah so the dropouts basically where the axle runs on your frame that you have a you have front dropouts and you have rear ones front ones on the fork and rear ones uh, where the stays meet all the way at the back of the frame let's talk about another part of the bike the head tube what's the head tube aaron that is the forward most part of your bike where your fork slides through. So that's where your stem and your handlebars sit above. Yeah. And a lot of times you might hear somebody talking about the the head badge on your bike. You know, they point to your bike and say, oh, that's a cool head badge. So that, I feel like we're not seeing as many cool ones as we used to. Or maybe there's been a renaissance uh, lately, actually, when I started to think about it. But yeah, that's where bike companies would put their logo for the bike because it's the 
front most part. What's what are some of the coolest head tube badges you guys have seen? I mean, Yeti's definitely had some cool ones over the years, like an actual Yeti riding a bike. And I think they do um, a metal head badge still, but it's like mountains with like crossed picks, pickaxes or something. So it's, pr- it's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, a lot of the times you're seeing these head badges are just stickers now or painted on, which is kind of seems like a missed opportunity from a branding perspective. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I have mixed emotions about it because I could see where you, you're saving a lot of weight by just you know putting a sticker on there versus a a big heavy what, like badge ten grams. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're made out of. Like the Yeti one, it looks it's like thick and looks like it's made out of some, some like real metal. Well, that's why their frames cost thirty eight hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Got to pay yeah. for that. Yeah, I think Intense has some pretty cool ones too, don't they? They do. Yeah, I've I just got an Intense actually, and it's got a nice metal uh head badge on it but i think i think it just uses a sticker it doesn't like bolt on like the yeti one does oh gotcha but i think i think santa cruz went to decals or paint recently if Mm. i'm not mistaken bummer yeah it's like it's like on cars you know they have the the hood ornament it's basically the hood ornament for your bike yeah yeah that's a good way to think about it all right uh saddle that's a term that's kind of a mountain bike specific term uh, for the seat place you put your butt on the bike. Why is it called a saddle? Because of horses, horses and their saddles. We actually get quite a few terms from horseback riding, I think. Yeah. Saddles is the one that first comes to mind, though. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. What I always thought was weird is, you know, we all just agree that we call a mountain bike seat a saddle. But then we call what it gets bolted to a seat post, and we yeah. don't call it a saddle post, <laughs> which right is which, one of those weird things. Isn't a saddle post like a real thing in horses too? Like a, or maybe I'm thinking the hitching post. Hitching post is definitely a thing. I don't know if a saddle post is. But don't is they put the saddle like on some kind of post to I don't know clean it or something? <laughs> Oil it and admire it. Yeah. While we're on the topic of saddles and seats, we should definitely like Aaron referenced clips and clipless earlier, but we didn't actually explain that. And I feel like people get confused about this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Go into that, Greg. What What's the difference? Dive in. <laughs> so back in the day, you used to have these pedals. So the standard pedal um, is like a flat pedal and there's no nothing that connects your foot to the pedal. But back in the day, they had these pedals primarily for road bikes that like you attach your foot to, and then your foot wouldn't come off. Like they're actual like clips and they're cages, all sorts of things. Well, they're called they were called toe clips. That's what it, toe clips. This was from. So yeah, you put your you had a a, plat, a platform pedal, you know, a flat pedal. But you had a platform, and then a toe clip that was bolted on to the end of that platform pedal, and then you had a toe strap that ran through the toe clip around your foot and through the pedal, and then that's how you cinched you cinch that down and that's how you stayed strapped to your bike so those were called toe clips so take yeah, it from that they should have been they should have been called straps yeah called toe <laughs> straps and none of this would be confusing like greg said i mean they were also called cages but where just so people don't get confused in all of it they were called toe clips so that's why when they developed the cleat mechanism that's how we got to clip less because you didn't have the toe clip because they were toe clipless Exactly. So I thanks for clarifying that, Aaron. That now it makes a lot more sense because now the pedal that you say you clip into but call it clipless, it's because it doesn't have the toe clip part. Right. So which is 
we maybe we should just find a different verb for getting into your pedal that's not clip. <laughs> Clicking. How about we call them clicky pedals? Click into them. That's that's probably not good because it's pretty close. Okay, what about uh, when we're talking about frame material? There's a lot of different materials that mountain bikes are made out of: steel, aluminum, carbon. One word that you hear sometimes is alloy. And for a while, I wasn't sure where that fit in. I was like, alloy, is that something different? Uh, but what what does that actually refer to, Aaron? Uh, you could have an alloy in anything, but generally in mountain biking, you're talking about an aluminum frame. And so it'll have aluminum mixed with some other sort of element in it, right? Or some sort of metal. So it could be scandium or something like that. But I mean, you'll also have, you'll also have, alloys in steel it's just a mixture of different metals but typically when somebody says something is alloy it's basically a synonym for it being made from aluminum or mostly aluminum yeah but yeah like you said maybe it can mean metal and it's just opposite of carbon everything else kind of falls into the alloy camp well the uh the reason it's confusing is because technically an alloy is a combination of two different types of metals right Yep. Like the that's a scientific term. So it's not just one type of metal, it's like right. two combined. Yeah. And I always was confused or I I felt misled when companies would talk about a scandium bike frame because it sounds like it's some other thing, but it's it's really aluminum with a little bit of scandium in it. Yeah, they just like dust it over the top with a little scandium shaker. <laughs> right. Okay, a couple more terms. We're almost done here. Thank uh and God. these both have to do with wheels. Just kidding. So truing a wheel, what does it mean to true a wheel, Aaron? That's when you interrogate it and make sure it's not lying to you. (laughs) Smack it around a little bit. (laughs) Truing a wheel is where you make sure that it is straight and round because those are actually two different things. You can have a wheel that is straight, but it's not round, which will lead to like a lumpy feeling when you ride. And you could also, the converse of that is you have a wheel that's round, but it's not straight. So to get them both perfectly aligned, you have a wheel that is true, that is tensioned properly. And when you do so, it'll stay that way for a long time unless uh, you run into an immovable object really hard or have some (laughs) other sort of uh, crash or accident. Yeah. And one of my other favorite terms from mountain biking is taco. So it's a verb. You can taco a wheel. What does that mean, Greg? Yeah, you want to taco about it, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> it's appropriate that they asked me about tacoing, not truing, because I do this uh, way more often. But this is basically where you bust a wheel to the point where if you think of a wheel being a circle and it starts like folding over, all of a sudden it looks like a taco. And that's really not a great thing. Usually your wheel's toast and is ready for the trash bin at that point. Yeah, it's a pretty taco hard. wheel is toast. <laughs> <laughs> Tostado? <laughs> yeah, gen- generally you can't true a taco wheel. Um, like Greg said, it's it's usually done if you've truly tacoed it. Yeah. It's time time for a new rim at least. Yeah, but at least it's a, it's a fun thing to say. You can be like, bro, I was out riding and I totally tacoed my wheel. <laughs> they would say, bro, did you huck into that gnarly rock garden? <laughs> and you'll say, yeah, bro, it was an enduro ride. <laughs> what do you think I did? Awesome. Great use of context. Well, good. I think we've talked about a lot of terms here for sure, but that's not all that there is. There 
mountain biking is a cool sport because, you know, we do have this community and we have our own lingo and new terms are always being invented and, you know, sort of being taken up. So if you're confused still about certain mountain bike terms, uh, we'd love to hear from you on our website. There's actually a really good forum thread that we based this discussion on called Common Mountain Bike Terms and Definitions. So if you go on the site, you can search for that and it should come right up. But a lot of us have just been having a lot of fun with that thread and uh, throwing out new terms and seeing what people think about them and asking other people if we're not sure what something means. Uh, So definitely come on and join the conversation with us. And as always, we'd love to have you rate the Single Tracks podcast. You can do that by going in the podcast app for your iPhone or going on Google Play for your Android device and rating us with five stars. That's all we have this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.